You're listening to an event from the U.S. Institute of Peace, part of the USIP Podcast Network. For more information about our work around the world, visit usip.org and check us out on social media. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this timely event called COVID-19 and Cooperation in Libya, Moving Past the Pandemic. My name is Michael Yaffe, and I am the Vice President at the U.S. Institute of Peace, focusing on the Middle East and North Africa. The USIP, USIP has been dedicated to the proposition that peace is possible, it's practical, and it's necessary for the United States and for the world. And in this sense, it reflects a history that where Congress set up the Institute to be a independent, nonpartisan organization that is focusing and dedicated to the to bringing about a world with uh, dedicated to uh, ending conflict, to mitigating conflict and preventing conflict, um, violent conflict. Um, today, as I said, we are focusing on Libya. USIP has been working continuously in Libya since 2011 and now seeking through research and training and dialogues we seek to build a peace infrastructure at the local level, at the national level, and with key partners. Um, we are, we today, we are joined by various people who will discuss the issue uh, in Libya. And they re represent our partners that we bring to these issues as we do in other places where we work around the world. Today's panel will be moderated by Nate Wilson Nate leads our uh, Libya program. He leads this from our office in Tunis. Um, and uh, Nate will be introducing the panelists very, very shortly. To set the scene for our event, it is important to recall that Libya is now at a critical political juncture with major powers represented by the UN support mission in Libya and is focusing on holding national elections on December 24th 2021. However, there would be many challenges to upholding a high level of security, transparency, and inclusivity before, during, and after these elections. At the same time that Libya moves through this transition period, the country, like the rest of the world, has been battling COVID-19 with an under-resourced healthcare system made worse by the conflicts. Despite all the challenges, Libya has, some, has seen some bright spots when people at different levels are cooperating across the board. This is true at the local level, which is where we will explore during our discussions today what is being done, as well as what's being done at the national level. It is in this context in mind in which I want to welcome our distinguished keynote speaker, Ambassador Wafak Bugagas. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Ambassador Bukagas, and welcome so much. Thank you so much, Mike. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, good morning. Uh, thank you for hosting and convening this informative event uh, that comes at a very critical juncture in Libyan national developments, and also in the midst of historic global pandemic. As Libya entered the new year, there has been continued widespread optimism 
about the future of the country with positive developments taking place in all of the UN facilitated processes by the three various tracks, namely the political, security and economical tracks. There is finally a light at the end of the tunnel for the conclusion of the proxy conflict with the impending end of negative foreign interference in Libya's sovereignty. Libyans are reeling from nine years of conflict in which families have been bombed out of their homes, healthcare facilities have been destroyed, infrastructure has crumbled, and the economy had had a hard hit. On top of all of that, 2020 has been hit by the COVID-19 pandemic, which has exasperated the crisis and added a new layer of suffering to the Libyan people. As the nation takes greater strides towards reconciliation and reunification with a drive towards self-determination and the establishment of a civil democratic state, we recognize that there is still so much work to be done to fulfill these goals. And while great progress has been made in Libya's various tracks, one looming impediment is the foreign negative interference in Libyan affairs. And without full Libyan determination in the lives of Libyan themselves, peace and stability will always be fleeting. The Libyan Political Dialogue Forum, facilitated by the UN, by ANSMEL, has done a tremendous job at bringing Libyans together to formulate and enact a plan toward a unified civil democracy that benefits all Libyans. The shared, to that end, the shared cooperation between Libyans from all backgrounds, regions, ages, and genders is a testament to the shift in tide in the Libyan conflict, ultimately setting the stage for a successful parliamentarian and presidential elections, which are scheduled to take place on December 24th, 2021 and that will be Libya's 70th Independence Day. Our shared drive for self-determination, democratic representation, and a unified state is the mortar of our identity as Libyans. And this is what brings us all together. On a more larger scale, cooperation from local and national civil society organizations and practitioners has enabled the considerable success of Libya's municipal elections in the west and south of the country. As a direct result of this success and with sincere efforts for national reconciliation, prospects for holding successful 
national elections are high. Pertaining to another important track, and that's namely Libya's security and military track, there has been notable progress in the five plus five joint military commission work. The ongoing ceasefire implementation shall enable life for Libyans on the conflict lines to return to more normalcy with the expediting of the opening of the coastal road and flights resuming between Tripoli and Benghazi. Here I must mention, and as you probably all know, the challenges remain in removing thousands of mines and explosive remnants of the war along the road. Other effects of the conflict, namely the splintering of Libyan institutions, has been a significant challenge in deteriorating our services and our economy. And here on the economic track, there has been progress towards reconciling and unifying financial institutions of the East and the West with movement toward unifying the national budget and agreement on the uh, financial uh, physical policy. The unification of financial and economic institutions is paramount to reforming the economy and allocating the needed resources and funds to support urgent needs and services to people, such as providing electricity and aiding the aid health sector amid the COVID-19 pandemic. To all that end, and despite these positive developments in Libya's various tracks, it's inescapable to note the impact that the COVID-19 pandemic has had on the lives of the people, particularly when the country was in conflict and war. The pandemic has impacted every level of Libyan life of Libyan, of the society, especially displaced persons and the vulnerable population, taking pressure lives away, limiting movement, affecting services, and taking a toll on the nation's already weakened economy. It's also worth noting that despite the ongoing difficulties due to COVID-19, Libyan health institutions have remained unified across the nation and have taken measures to combat the implications of the, of the virus as much as the overall hardship imposed by the war and conflict has allowed. As of today, the government has allocated more than 135 million US dollars to provide vaccines to the people and secure much needed medical equipments. Partnership with the US government institutions like USAID and international organizations such as World Health Organization and UNDP will be crucial to support Libyan public health institutions. 
with capacity building, for instance. This will eventually give these institutions greater self-reliance and preparedness for facing the pandemic and other health crises. As a country coming out of conflict, more help is needed at this point from the international organizations to the Libyan health authorities and keeping in mind that Libya hosts hundreds of thousands of immigrants who are also in need of humanitarian help and vaccination for all to be safe. Libyan health authorities have led a major reach out campaign to provide vaccines, but with the global competition and limitations on availability, it will certainly be a slow process and some time before all the vulnerable population can have access to vaccines. In turn, civil societies and, civil and organizations have been working hand in hand, stretching across regional lines in an attempt to provide direct support to those most in need. And I'm happy here to see some of those representatives of these organizations, and I look forward to hear from them. Cooperation between the public and private sector is instrumental to the, effects, to the efficacy of emergency preparedness and planning. And I'm happy to see this coordination taking place on the ground in Libya. To conclude with, cooperation between Libyans has never been more paramount than this moment in the past 10 years. We as Libyans need to further come together and continue to cooperate to solidify our nation's progress towards stability and dignified life full of security, good health and prosperity for all. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ambassador Bugegas. Uh, very much appreciated those uh, comments. And uh, just to introduce myself, my name is Nate Wilson. I am the Libya country manager, as Mike mentioned, for the US Institute of Peace. Uh, thank you again for your remarks, Ambassador Bugegas. Uh, from the US Institute of Peace, we very much appreciate our partnership with you and your ministry, as well as the government in DC, uh, as well as out in the field and, and some of our programming that we uh, do in partnership with your, with your, um, with your colleagues. Um, very interesting and timely perspective from a, uh, an experienced and accomplished government official. Uh, I, I really enjoyed hearing you talk about uh, some of the efforts that sometimes go unnoticed by when reading headlines about Libya, including cooperation in the fields of health, uh, uh, the economic track, which we might touch on in our discussion, as well as the security track. Uh, all very, very important, uh, and I thank you. Um, so note, uh, now I'd like to explore the local level in the next part of this event. Uh, we have a very good panel today, as Mike mentioned, uh, consists of three individuals who bring diverse perspectives from their work in Libya. Uh, note that you can join the conversation on Twitter with the hashtag COVID Cooperation Libya, all one word, uh, and also send questions for the question and answer portion of the event at the end of, uh, uh, via the USIP 
event page. So first off will be Ahmed Albibas, who uh, is the founder of Mumkin Organization for Awareness and Media, and has served as its CEO since 2015. A dedicated civil activist since 2009, he has worked with the General National Congress, the Libyan Ministry of Youth and Sports, and interned with Beyond for Reform and Development in Lebanon, where he gained experience engaging with government actors, youth and civil society organizations, and other NGOs. Drawing from his experiences, Ahmed has worked to establish a variety of programs at Mumkin, including peace building, economic and social research, economic development and civil society support, among others. Then we'll turn to Abdurrahman uh, El Gheriani. He is a scholar, leader, and entrepreneur from Benghazi, Libya. He is the founder and president of Tanmia 360, which is a pioneering Libyan development NGO. He is a Chevening alumnus where he completed a master's of public administration with distinction from the University of Birmingham. Abdul Rahman has a BSBA in accounting and finance from the American University of Sharjah. Uh, he is also an alumnus of the US Department of State Leaders for Democracy Fellowship 2017 cohort. Abdul Rahman serves on several boards and committees. He is the former president of the Libyan student body in the American University of Sharjah former vice chairman of the Libyan community in the UAE, and he is currently a member of the Libyan economic track at the, uh, under UNSMIL, the UN mission support, uh, UN support mission in Libya. Finally, we'll turn to Craig Brown. He's the program policy officer for livelihoods and resilience for the UN World Food Program in Libya, or WFP. He leads WFP Libya's efforts in the areas of job creation and agriculture, while also coordinating conflict sensitivity work and exploring ways in which WFP's work might contribute to peace. Prior to joining the Libya office in 2018, he worked for WFP Iraq for three years, working on internal and external relations during the ISIS crisis and later managing food assistance for Syrian refugees in the Kurdistan region of Iraq. He has an MA in Arab Studies from the Center for Contemporary Arab Studies at Georgetown University's School of Foreign Service. Hello, everyone. Um, this is Ahmed Bibas from Munkin Organization. Uh, today, I want to highlight uh, the civil society work and especially like what we are doing like in Munkin during like the last year with um, like COVID pandemic. So um, first of all, I want to start with uh, like the most like important organizations in Libya, which is like the the Arab Kurdistan and uh, Scots, and like um, which they made like a lot of like a great offer to like uh, make everything like um, uh, like like as easy as um, it could be like for like beneficiaries and people like in need. Um, also, like for the, the organizations, other organizations like the aid organizations, like LibAid and other like organizations that work with um, like uh, international partners to provide like food and everything that uh, people in need that want during this pan uh, pandemic. Um, uh, Mumkin worked during like pandemic, and I just want to give like what we did like during this pandemic, and um, I like to to make it or to make our duty as like civil society organizations, uh, organization working in Libya. So we started with 1405, which is toll free like number uh, to receive uh, or to give like people more information about the pandemic or about like the virus. Uh, we managed around like 7,200 like cases 
uh, during like uh, the start of the pandemic than like uh, other like toll-free numbers get um, these services and they um, completed. Also, we, we was like uh, we were fo uh, focusing more on like uh, the education and how like our people could like continue their like education. So we created um, um, an online platform like we, and we aired and we collected all of the um, uh, like uh, ministry uh, classes and also we uh, we produced like around like three hundred hours of like online classes that could be used as uh, private classes or like. Uh, um, for listens, so we have like 407 listen, and with like uh, we did with like around 2077 like beneficiary during the past year, which is um, the end of the year. Um, also, uh, like many uh, know that we don't have addresses in Libya, so uh, we started this project where like we bring um, like uh, we brought like around 43 volunteer to. Um, to get training on easily and how to use it and how to like uh, uh, draw the buildings on maps and we like draw around like 2,055 like building under this moment from like around 1 million building in Libya. Um, and uh, one of the things that uh, we tried to solve which is the queue uh, system or the crowds um, in the test centers so we created the system where like we reduced the crowd um, and in the test centers, um, since October, we have like uh, around two, 20, uh, 1, um cases that uh, we managed. Also, we we didn't stop like working on like this building. So we started uh, on, like our work with uh, online, or we moved our medial of base building to online platform where we uh, trained around like 36 um, like uh, volunteer, uh, volunteer to work with us from Gatron, Sabah, and Ghazi, and Kufra. And these 36 uh, volunteers, they supported us to manage around 20 workshops inside uh, their community. So now we are like, we, we try to focus more on like the young peace builders where we have like future, um, like uh, activists that could work in this, uh, in their uh, like cities. And we didn't uh, like stop at like the two municipalities that we are working with, like with US, USIB, so we start to approach to more municipalities that they have like some conflicts with their neighbors and we expand this project to another like four where now we are in negotiation to start nominating the community uh the communication committees uh for their municipalities and in this year we like for the first time we get like uh, to try our new medial which is peace building during like uh true businesses so how could we like um train people how to do like their businesses plus how to build peace and social cohesion through their businesses. We trained like 77 online, physical training like 50, and we found a 10 project that like aims or like uh, their projects that fits with uh, our project goal. And the most important part, which is, um, I don't know if you know the suicide in Libya is new. So we tried uh, with the US department to uh, work more on professionalizing DCs or to give them like um, the proper like knowledge on how like to manage and lead their organization um, to uh, to serve like more people. So we trained like around 376 like uh, online trainees and uh, like 75 organization have been trained to be like a trainer in their like uh, society or in their like organization. Um, as a conclusion for my speech, um, civil society in Libya is a new lacking of experience, especially the management, which is like the main issue in all Libya. 
and also resources, which is we don't have a lot of like fund opportunities in Libya. Uh, one of the main challenges during uh, the last year is the work with the government, but it's better than before. So we are like having more like uh, trust from the government, and this is like and this is what we hope that uh, will be continue with like the civil society. So we could see like more partnerships between civil society and the government in uh, in their work. Uh, we lack of coordination according to the risk building, and we could like so see some like overdue or something like that. So uh, like. Uh, we really need like to make uh, more collaboration and co uh, coordination with all the organizations that work in peace building in Libya. Peace building is not just a project and it's an ongoing process um, that shouldn't like stop even like through like pandemic. So um, this is what we did and I think it, it works and it worked very well and this is like the main or the, the best time that we could like do peace building where like everyone needs the other and they need more collaboration, coordination between each other. So Munkin, like one of the main things that we, it's really helped us in the peace building, it's our other projects. So uh, all of the program like helps each other inside the organization. So now like one of the like uh, good examples with the WFP, we are the third party monitoring for WFP. And when people seeing like our logo, um, like they, they think that we are like providing like other services for them. So they know us, they know that we are like providing other services when we come like for peace building projects or like sessions, they, they welcome us. Um, and lastly, which is like, we need like more collaboration from INGOs and we are asking them like for more real like partnerships with the local NGOs because they are uh, like the future or the, the, the sustainable part of the civil society in Libya. And that's it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Ahmed. Uh, really appreciate those thoughts. And um, you know, a few things stood out to me. Uh, you're well placed to to look at the very local level and see what needs to be done. I think that that's great. Uh, working with youth, of course, is is something that's uh, crucial, as youth literally are the future. Uh, the peace building work is well appreciated and. Um, you know, the, the partnership with USIP is as well. Uh, so thank you for that. Next, uh, we'll turn to the president and founder of Tanmia 360, Abdurrahman Gheriani, calling in from Benghazi to share uh, some of his thoughts from the perspective of his organization based in Libya's East. Thank you, Abdurrahman. Thank you so much, Nate. And uh, um, I'd like to thank everybody on the panel who made this possible. And uh, hopefully soon uh, we'll do it in, in, in Washington, D.C. I know that it's the uh, cherry blossom season very soon, so I definitely would like to visit D.C. again. So uh, just to highlight uh, how great uh, the things that uh, Ahmed uh, spoke about, uh, I'd like to highlight the context, because once we uh, realize the difficulties that were uh, trying to maneuver in the Libyan civil society, then we will uh, really appreciate uh, the, the impact that we're having. Uh, so not only do we have uh, the political complexities, the security and the economic uh, difficulties that we're already facing uh, prior to the pandemic, uh, with the pandemic, things got even uh, harder and much more challenging. So we have, uh, healthcare uh, sector issues, we have economic issues, and, and now we have uh, education issues. And I'd like to highlight these three. 
So uh, according to a, a WHO uh, report in 2019, uh, it, it described the Libyan healthcare system as ineffective. Uh, it has ineffective detection and response to uh, uh, communi uh, communicable diseases. Uh, it lacks medicines, equipment, and supplies. It has disrupted emergency referral system. So this was in 2019. Can you imagine how things got really complicated even further in 2020? Uh, given that the political situation has gotten probably worse in, in 2020 and the economic situation got even uh, worse. Uh, so on... on Adding to the uh, to, to this mix, the uh, the security situation where multiple attacks happened on COVID-19 healthcare facilities, uh, people were blaming the healthcare staff uh, for uh, fatal cases. Although the healthcare staff probably did not have uh, the the right equipment and the right environment to save uh, the patients, so these things in mind will will help us understand uh, what was happening. So. Uh, economic situation also was very complicated. Uh, oil production dropped from 1.2 million barrels per day to, uh, I think, one, uh, 180,000 uh, barrels per day. That was in the first quarter of 2020. So all of these in mind uh, add to it the uh, closure of, of uh, schools uh, due to the lockdown, which put 1.8 million uh, students, according to UNESCO, in the second quarter of 2020, out of schools. So in this context, what did we do as civil society? Uh, Tanya had the honor of, of working with uh, more than 10 Libyan entities on, uh, on organizing an online conference, probably Libya's very first online conference, where we tried to highlight the, the, the role uh, of, of uh, Libyan entrepreneurs and startups in the time of COVID-19. And we were hoping to not only highlight it during the time of COVID-19, but we want to come up with uh, evidence-based policies to uh, our new economic reality with the uh, dropping prices of oil and, and so on. And now a year later, we're, we're working on uh, publishing a report, not only to highlight the conference, but to give uh, an insight of what's happened during the previous 12 months, the previous four quarters for this very important, although it's very small, the. Uh, the SMEs in Libya, it's small, but it's significant, and it could play a, an important role in the economic development of the nation. Uh, on, on healthcare, we organized a, a campaign where we uh, supported uh, caregivers in the uh, COVID-19 healthcare facilities. We've arranged a number of training programs for civil society organizations although with small numbers to keep the social distancing and so on, and we try to uh, enable these uh, civil society organizations to work with uh, the different uh, government entities on the local level, sometimes on the national level, to provide the necessary support. And uh, on the education, uh, we believe that Libya's youth are uh, sorry, uh, yeah, the youth in Libya are Libya's biggest wealth. So currently we're discussing with a, a UN agency, a potential huge uh, collaboration project uh, to provide uh, access to education in these difficult times. And we're hoping that this collaboration would succeed and uh, we'll be able to contribute uh, to this very important uh, segment of the community, our children and youth. So uh, I will end here and then hopefully uh, we can discuss later.
Thank you. Thanks for those uh, remarks, Abdurrahman. Um, and uh, again, I see that youth, um, uh, you know, common thread to both of your remarks and, uh, um, you know, hopefully both uh, that UN partnership will pan out, but uh, uh, even if it doesn't, we look forward to hearing those policy recommendations from your organization, uh, which is well placed uh, for development in Libya in the future. Uh, last but not least, we'll turn to Craig Brown from WFP, uh, who will give a kind of international perspective uh, from his position uh, with that organization. Craig? Thanks very much, Nate, and it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, pleasure to be joining everyone, and thanks to everyone for, for tuning in as well. Um, so WFP's um, active all over Libya. We uh, aim to assist about 100,000 people uh, every single month, uh, Libyans, displaced people, uh, migrants. Um, myself, I work on the livelihoods projects, um, and there we're really focused on, on vocational training and particularly uh, job creation. As you saw some statistics uh, probably earlier, um, the vast majority of people in Libya are employed in the public sector. Um, and so the private sector is quite underdeveloped. Um, so that's again, coming to that theme under the, the economic discussions. Um, so last year we assisted through our food assistance for training program, three and a half thousand people across the country, uh, focusing as others have mentioned on, on young people, and especially young women, because they're disproportionately uh, excluded from the labor market across the country. So uh, we've really been working hard to focus on them, uh, assessing uh, at a very local level what the needs are of businesses in that area and, uh, and what the interests are of people in terms of trying to find jobs and, and how we can come in to support. So that's been our main, our main program uh, uh, because we saw a big... Uh, in terms of food security in Libya, there's a big challenge for people to uh, have enough money to access enough food, uh, considering the liquidity crisis, uh, challenges with accessing salaries, uh, lack of available jobs. So that's kind of where we've come in with that, uh, that program. Now, COVID uh, put everything on hold for a while, as it did with, with everybody else, I think. And actually, for six months last year, we couldn't uh, implement these trainings. But we had to adapt, um, as we did with our emergency program, the one that supports 100,000 people. So in, in that case, where we have food distributions in, in urban and rural areas uh, and trucks traveling all over the country. Um, it's measures such as you know, social distancing, ensuring uh, gel and uh, masks and things like this are available to staff uh, so that their safety is guaranteed, but also to uh, our beneficiaries who are attending. Um, so that's something we were doing there, as well as trying to communicate a bit about the need for uh, following these public health, public health uh, precautions. And then in terms of the training, we had to also adapt and uh, good to see, uh, hear from Ahmed and Abdurrahman how they've uh, also adapted. So we, we've brought in online training as well. Uh, the big challenge for us is we're really uh, targeting unemployed people or low-income families from, from vulnerable communities. So there's a really big challenge, and this is not just in Libya, um, it's, it's everywhere, I think, uh, in ensuring that we're not reinforcing inequalities within education by uh, providing these online classes. So, so in our case, that, that, that's maybe 
uh, if people can can join online classes through their phone, uh, we try and help with internet credits or something like this. So we really we don't want uh, uh, that to be a reason why someone misses out on their education in this in this case. So with that break, it was a big time for us to 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 stop and rethink things and try and figure out how how we can work better. So you hear these these UN uh, initiatives such as Build Back Better and and the new way of working that have come in in the in the last few years under the Secretary General. Um, and for us, that's been uh, making sure our projects are conflict sensitive. So we really understand the local context that might be specific dynamics in Sepa in the south or, or in Zuara up on the, up on the coast. Uh, each town, city, area has its own dynamics. So we've really worked hard in, in understanding those dynamics as much as possible, making sure we're not at least doing no harm, but uh, uh, making sure we're not re reinforcing any, any negative uh, dynamics in those areas or getting caught up in, in, in conflict dynamics, let's say. Um, but it also means looking at how we can contribute to peace. And of course, uh, WFP was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize last year. Um, and that gave a lot of impetus, I think, for us uh, in terms of trying to do more. Um, and that's really where the, the partnership with USIP has come in, uh, with you, Nathan, and, and your team in Libya, uh, in, in terms of trying to understand how we can work together. We, we obviously have a partnership um, in Libya. And um, uh, ultimately for us, the, reason, the big reason for this is the, for the vast majority of food insecure people in Libya, the, the root cause of that food insecurity is the conflict. So we're now looking at uh, how can we contribute to addressing that root cause? It might only be in a small way, but that matters. Um, and it matters for, for that one or two, you know, there's one or two communities maybe where we can, we can really do that. Um, so, you know, and maybe we can, we can talk a bit about this in, in a bit, Nate, but uh, we have a partnership in, in Ubari in the South with, with USIP and the local partner of both of us, Fezan Libya organization, who, who like Tanmia, like Mumkin are doing amazing work. And I'm really glad, uh, you know, we're getting the word out there a bit about these organizations. The narrative doesn't always have to be super negative like it, like it often is on Libya. There's so many people doing, doing great stuff. Um, so with Fezan Libya, with USIP, uh, we're working in Ubari. There were peace building dialogues there, which, um, for you know, all intents and purposes, have been quite effective um, in terms of keeping things quite calm in Ubari. And one of the recommendations from, from those dialogues was to have some sort of communal area, a communal market, uh, a family space where people could enjoy. There just, there just weren't these, you know, uh, pieces of infrastructure in the area. So that's where WFPs come in. We have vast uh, engineering experience uh, from our headquarters. Um, so they've been, they've been working with us on this as well. We're rehabilitating a market there, which includes a green space that families can enjoy. It's a safe one. It's, you know, well lit and everything. Uh, we have a management committee that pulls in people from different communities. It involves women. Um, uh, it involves farmers, which is important for us because we're looking also beyond that into, into agriculture. Um, so that's uh, sort of the big example, I think, of us trying to work more with peace building actors like USIP to address, uh, to address that root cause. And it's something WFP is looking at uh, all over the world. Um, and yeah, with, with that, I think it brings me back to the, the local partners. None of this is possible without them. Um, 
and they they are the future they're the they're what makes the, these projects sustainable if we want to work well and, and work right um we have really strong partners all over the country um and you know the hope is uh, further down the line that we can we can step away we won't be needed and these local organizations will be able to carry on um the great work so i think i'll, I'll wrap up there. there's obviously tons and tons i can say uh but it's it's great to join you all so thanks uh, back to you nate Thanks very much, Craig. And we we are honored to work with uh, WFP in Libya. Um, and uh, you know, you I think you pointed out a, a lot of different things that we'll get to in a second. Um, but you know, it ties back to the uh, the strength of the Li Libyan people that uh, Ambassador Bufegas pointed out in her opening remarks. And I think that that's uh, something that we we want to highlight in this uh, event, but also something that you highlighted in your remarks. So thank you. Uh, speaking of one of those uh, organizations, I think that we'd like to go uh, rapid fire uh, a question for each of you, and then we'll have a, a general discussion. So, Ahmed, I'm going to turn to you. Uh, what advice do you have for CSOs that want to help foster cooperation in the coming period? Uh, do you see potential points of cooperation that could be capitalized on, uh, for instance, with uh, vaccinations or uh, elections as two big issues? That are coming, uh, that are you know on the on the agenda of everyone working in Libya, uh, or are there issues that we're missing? Uh, this is also something that's been uh, brought up uh, regarding vaccinations and and so on and so forth by uh, some of our our uh, questioners. I think um, like it's very difficult now to work on with vaccination because it's like the government like work and like interfering in these kind of things is like I think it's going to be very difficult for like um, CSOs but the things that we really need to focus on right now is the quality of the next election I'm not talking about the election but it's the quality of it like um, how who's the people that going to come and also the participation of the, uh, the people so since 2014 we couldn't see any um, we see a lot of um, people that uh, lose their trust in the election. So I think in the coming like 10 months, all the focus should be on how we could motivate people to go to the, uh, to the election, the election day and just uh, give their vote there. And I hope that like will work. Um, so this is like what I see as like a priority right now for civil society for, or like for any international organization that want to work. And the most important part of that is to keep the knowledge, which is the sustainability of the civil, the local civil society in Libya. So um, like I couldn't imagine like the civil society without international NGOs right now. And what we really need is like for the international to handle or to hand out like the knowledge and the experience to the local NCSOs so they could continue their work after that. And this is what happened with Munkin and I hope that I see, I see the same thing with other organizations in Libya and all of Libya. So like I hope for any organization that want to come and work in Libya to put this in their mind, like, um, like um, so this is like number one uh, hope for me. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much. And I think that that's right uh, with regards to the, the elections. I mean, not just holding them, but having them uh, usher in that kind of 
um, you know, democratic representation that uh, the ambassador pointed to, and indeed that the United States uh, is, is interested in, in helping with. Um, Abdurrahman, I'm going to turn to you now. Uh, you talked uh, about some what some of the official policies were and some of the actions that your organization took. Uh, could you sketch out just uh, what the road ahead looks like in the East? Uh, what are some of the major challenges uh, with regards to the the um, uh, the pandemic itself or um, elections or something that we're not not foreseeing right now? And uh, what do you foresee as some of the responses of communities? Sure, thank you so much. So uh, unfortunately, because of the uh, uh, because of the situation and the complexity and, and the mounting challenges, people are not seeing COVID-19 as the worst thing that could happen to them. And, and hence, uh, many people in the community are not really uh, taking it as seriously as it, uh, as it should be taken. So uh, this is something very um, fundamental, but hopefully uh, with the vaccines coming coming uh, to Libya soon. Uh, and I, I hope that the, the COVID-19 would not be our greatest challenge so that we could focus on the, the, the challenges uh, that are more in, uh, entrenched. So uh, talking about the... Uh, the elections, the upcoming elections, or the, uh, the, the the whole governance framework, whether it's on the local level or, or, or the, the, the national level, uh, we, we lack public engagement. So we have this issue. Uh, and as a result, we have uh, decreasing voter turnout, as, as Ahmed rightly you know, uh, mentioned. And, and we saw that in the elections of the uh, uh, municipality of Tripoli. So, uh, how can we fix this? It's, it's a very complex question, but what we're doing as an, uh, as an organization, and, and, and again, Ahmed uh, put his hand on, on, the, uh, on the issue, uh, we're trying to build the capacities of other civil society organizations. So uh, over the past uh, months, we, we trained, uh, I, I would say tens of, of local NGOs, and one of them, uh, and it's uh, one that I, uh, I like so much, they, they work, they're working on, on debating. It's a debating club and they're trying to reach to universities and, and we need these, these things. And what we're trying to do is that, uh, not to tell them what to do, but to teach them how to do it, how to be successful, how to be sustainable. Uh, currently we're working on a, on a program funded by uh, USAID and it's implemented with uh, the American Bar Association. It's uh, on misinformation, on hate speech, and we, we put a component of uh, general uh, knowledge. And, and I'm, I'm really proud to say that uh, the very first cycle of this program, which is IDRAC 360, it was funded by uh, USIP. And uh, that was back in 2019. We're doing it again because this program uh, looks for people with uh, with uh, looks for youth with leadership potential, those who are influential on social media spaces and platforms, and we're trying to give them the awareness of law, economics, public administration, international relations, and conflict analysis. So these are the things that could have an impact. It would take time, but at least we have to do the right investments. This is a long-term investment in our youth. And, and uh, hopefully when the, when the pandemic ends, hopefully soon, 
at least we will have uh, youth who are aware enough to engage uh, with the uh, decision makers who will push for uh, more transparency, more uh, public engagement and, and um, uh, governance and uh, or uh, good governance. And maybe those youth would one day be elected officials or decision makers who could uh, hopefully lead us to uh, prosperity and, and, and more, more and more prosperity. Thank you. Thanks very much. And, uh, you know, we are uh, proud to have seen, uh, noticed a good thing when we saw it. Uh, and, you know, your organization has proven to be uh, in it for the long term. And I think that that's, uh, that's crucial, um, you know, especially when there are some of the uh, emergencies that have been uh, discussed uh, so far. Um, so, uh, Craig, I'd like to turn to you now. Um, I'm wondering if you uh, could drill down on the Ubari market a little bit. Um, I think that, you know, it's worth uh, mentioning that not only did we want to keep things calm in Ubari, um, but, you know, uh, also give people an opportunity to see a, a new future. And I think that that's where, uh, you know, our, our small contribution is, is hoping to make, um, you know, uh, have a positive outcome in the city. Um, but the, the question for you is, uh, can you give some practical advice on how organizations uh, that come from different backgrounds, us, for example, from a peace building background, you from a humanitarian aid background, can talk to each other and how, can they, how, how they can cooperate with each other and build on each other's strengths? Because I know that coordination is a, is a buzzword, uh, but I'm, I'm looking for practical uh, recommendations if you have them. You give me an easy question. Um, I think uh, it's, it starts with being aware that uh, these organizations um, shouldn't try and go it alone um, and try and think they can solve a variety of issues. You know, it's good. It's a good thing to work in partnership with others. Uh, it's a good thing to think broadly. You know, we have this, this so-called Nexus uh, working group in, in Libya where it tries to bring thinking from development, humanitarian peace building together to see how we can complement each other's work. Uh, so many of these issues we, we come across are really cross-cutting, right? It might be, there might be governance issues, there's a lack of local services provided, um, um, lack of jobs available, uh, and some basic needs not being met that require humanitarian assistance. So there are very different uh, issues going on, which you, you get to know if you really zoom in and uh, you know, do the analysis on these specific areas. Um, so really, once you see this, it's important to then look for ways you could maybe work with other organizations on them rather than just thinking, oh, well, that's not relevant to what I'm doing or that's not relevant. Well, actually, everything affects each other. You know, I think of food security issues are affected with, uh, you know, affect health, nutrition, um, uh, economics. You know, these are all kind of intermixing. And when things go badly, they go badly across these different uh, these different areas it really becomes a, a vicious cycle so it's important to kind of look up and see how how you can work with others and uh, that's that's where this project with with uh, you at usip has been uh, really well received i think by the local communities um you know we we've made it clear you know we want to work with with all the, the major communities or components there the tebu tuareg ahali um and the the local authorities we've been keen to, to, to work closely with as well. 
Um, it's not just the local CSOs, right? It's the local authorities we really need to work with and try and support their capacity as well. So um, I think that would be my suggestion is look for, look for partnerships, look, as, look, look for opportunities, uh, really seek them out and you can find these, these uh, opportunities to, to contribute to uh, not just, you know, in our case, not just food security, but maybe we can contribute to, to something bigger than that in, in Ubari and that would be a good thing, not just Ubari, but uh, everywhere. Great, thank you very much. Um, so I am going to ask uh, a general question. We just have a few minutes left, um, but we, we talked about the local level uh, and I wanna know from your perspectives, what are the main points or goals that a, um, the temporary executive authority that uh, may be coming in uh, Libya should, should focus on? Um, you know, uh, what can they do before the election to boost the election outcomes uh, and so on and so forth. On the other side, uh, the, uh, the same question can be asked. What should the Libyan citizen do uh, to support uh, this potential uh, temporary executive authority? What should they prioritize? Abdurrahman, you wanna start? Yes, sir, thank you so much. It's, it's a brilliant question and, and, and it's not only the uh, interim uh, authority where we need to think about, uh, um, again, uh, the, the, the trust issue. We need to increase public engagement. So this uh, interim authority, it needs to engage the public. And when we say the public, the public are mostly represented by civil society organizations. That's why we need to build the capacities of, of civil society organizations so, so that they can uh, have better planning and strategizing so that they can advise the government uh, in a better way. And uh, I, my, if I can summarize my, my remarks, it would be to build the trust, to bridge the gap between the executive and the community. The, the, this is very important and I believe we lack it now. Thank you, Abdurrahman and uh, Ahmed. I think, one of the most important thing is like um, the first way, which is like building our building the trust between the community and the government. And to do that, you need to show the people like some achievements. So Libyan, they give hope to any like a new government, but like they want to receive something. They want to see like some projects. They want to see like some like the easy thing is like they just they want in like they don't want any queues anymore and like in front of the benzene station or in like uh, bread like or bakeries or like in the banks so this is the most important thing start to be like for the people if they solve these small things they may like start getting the trust of the people so the people they would they could follow their leaders so we couldn't like ask the people to follow leaders that they don't care of them so we need like a leaders that uh, feel the people needs and they try to give them something and I think the most important thing that the government should do is like to support the local or the local governments the municipalities to give them like the authorities they're like uh, to give them like all the regulations that they want to operate so by this uh, kind of actions we could see like more um, like uh, small achievements but like uh, more sustainable local government and people they start like focusing more on the like municipality than the, the government so like this is i think the the way of um, or the, the, the thing that the government should do like 
uh, in the few periods, I hope so. I think we just have a moment left, but do you guys think that there should be a special strategy for guaranteeing the responsibilities between government actors, uh, civil society organizations, and maybe even uh, international organizations? Yes or no with a short commentary. Uh, yes, and, and uh, again, uh, it depends on the political will. So if, if you have an executive uh, body that uh, claims to be interested in, in the public opinion and in the partnership with uh, civil society and uh, uh, that is claims to be interested in, uh, in giving more roles to uh, uh, women leaders in, in our community. But in action, you don't see that. As Ahmed said, if you don't see action, then there is no, there is no trust between uh, the government and uh, the people. So yes, I, I believe there needs to be some sort of collaboration, but action needs to uh, follow uh, the words. Have a strategy, but then implement it. Craig, and then Ahmed will finish with you. Yeah, totally agree with uh, uh, what the others said. Um, the, the confidence and the trust, I think, can come with working more closely at the top level with the municipalities. And if people see those services are being delivered and their needs are being met on a local, uh, local level, like there's tangible improvements, that will go such a long way to improving things, I think. I think Thanks. Yes, and we really want like more like um, actions from the government, like welcoming us, welcoming like the initiatives that come every day to the government, like from civil society to improve something and or like uh, to give something to them, like just trust us, like we are really want to help like our people, like the government, like uh, want to, and you have the knowledge and sometimes or in many times we have also the resources, the man resources and the money to implement something, but we just need your partnership. We just need like to do something. So trust us and we'll show you that we are worth to this trust. This is like my message to the government and really looking forward for any action to welcome like civil society uh, initiatives or like, uh, um, like, uh, so we could like work with the government side by side. Or... Thank you. Uh, very clear messages from all of you. Uh, it's clear that uh, everybody on this panel uh, is working for the improvement of the situation in Libya. I hope that we've uh, helped to highlight a few of the uh, bright spots uh, in Libya. And there's more, there's much more than what we see here. Uh, with that, I'd like to uh, thank Ambassador Borregas, um, and before that, uh, Dr. Mike Yaffe for opening remarks, uh, Craig Brown, Ahmed Albibas, and Abdurrahman Gheriani. Uh, thank you all, and uh, uh, continue the good work. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this event. If you'd like to listen to more events or explore our other podcasts, visit usip.org forward slash podcasts. Mm -hmm.